0: Well, I'm, I'm Pastor Ben. It's my privilege to share God's word. But before we get into that, you're probably thinking, where is he? <laughs> right? If you're, if you're watching online, you're thinking that backdrop looks different. That's not in the sanctuary. Where is he? If you are in the sanctuary right now, you're watching me on the screen and you're thinking, where is this guy? Why isn't he physically here? Well, I want to tell you straight from my mouth so you know what's going on with me and my family. Uh, late last week, my, my daughter and my wife had high temperatures, and because of the situation we're in, and just because we want to show our love by protecting people, we sent them in for tests. And uh, the tests came back, and both my wife and my daughter were positive for COVID-19 because my son and, and obviously myself, we live with them. We called the health officials and said, what should we do? And they said, well, Ben, because you're vaccinated, you don't have to do much unless you show symptoms. And so I kind of just went on my, my usual course and my usual schedule. And then late, late Thursday night, I started feeling this real pretty aggressive tightness in my chest. And so that Friday morning I brought Cooper, which is my son in, and I went in and then we also were told we were positive for COVID. So I was one of the breakthrough cases that you've maybe heard about. Now that's the reason I'm not here because we're trying to protect you. We are looking forward to joining you next week especially be praying for my my daughter. This was going to be her first vacation in Bible school, and she's going to be missing out. So it's a a very sad, sad reality for her when I'm trying to explain to her that she can't go. But also be praying for my wife. Everyone else has very minor symptoms, but my wife who's pregnant, she's had a lot more severe symptoms, a lot of achy joints and severe headache and heavy fatigue that pretty much keeps her in bed all the time. So, So please be praying for her. We thank you so much for those who already have, who are aware of the situation I'm doing fine I don't look the best right now I might be don't sound the best uh, right now I've got a pretty severe sore throat but I'm I'm fine but be, please be praying for my wife uh, because obviously not only is it her life but it's the, the child's life and so we want to make sure that she gets through this healthy and happy uh, because we're looking forward to November to adding uh, one more to our family well it's time to get into to God's word and to have this conversation today and I'm excited to be with you even though I can't physically be with you I'm so thankful that God has provided technology like this so we can join together no matter what the situation When I say Ten Commandments what do you think of? Maybe you think of Moses going up the mountain to get the stone tablets Maybe you think back to confirmation or vacation Bible school where you first learned about them Maybe you think of a church that had them posted outside or a courthouse that used to have them posted outside Or maybe you think of Charlton Heston and his his famous movie. I would say for most of us, we have something that we think about when we hear the Ten Commandments. But today I'm less concerned about what you think about when you hear about them, and more about what you think about them. You see, depending on who you are, you might think all sorts of things about them. You might see them as rules to be followed, so that God will love you or rules to be followed so that God keeps loving you, or rules to be followed so that you don't get into trouble, or maybe even rules from a loving God to give you a better way to interact with him and others. No matter where you live on this spectrum, I have a sneaking suspicion that how you have viewed God's rules is likely a direct correlation to how you have viewed your parents' rules growing up, or how you currently view your parents' rules now. The house rules, if you will. Maybe it was a curfew or a chore list. Or certain words you couldn't use. Or certain shows or movies you couldn't watch. Whatever the rules, you internalized a certain purpose for these rules. You thought, I need to follow the rules so that they will love me. Or I need to follow the rules so that they don't give up on me. Or I need to follow the rules simply so I don't get into trouble. Or maybe, just maybe, you thought these rules have a purpose and a reason to better my life because they come from the loving hearts of my parents. Now, if you landed there as a teen, I have to imagine you are a rarity to have this type of maturity because I don't even know now, even as a parent, if I have that type of maturity, maturity most of the time to understand rules in this way. But today, but today, I hope we all grow in our maturity as we get a fresh perspective on God's rules, His heart for you, and His hope for your future, as we start this new sermon series about the Ten Commandments called House Rules. Now, today is going to be a little different because I'm on the screen. That means the scripture can't go on the screen. So I'm going to need you to take out a Bible if you're here in person. There's one in front of you in your pew if you're at home. Hopefully you can find one and there's not too much dust on it. And I want you to open to Luke chapter 4. We're going to be in verses 1 through 13. And this is how it begins. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. Today, we are going to encounter what is probably a very familiar story to many of you, if you've been around church for a while. It's a face-off between Jesus and the devil, where before Jesus even gets his ministry started, Satan is trying to derail it. Before Jesus does a miracle, or teaches, or gathers one disciple, Satan is hoping to stop his momentum before it starts by getting Jesus to fall into temptation. But before we get into this epic battle between good and evil for the fate of the world, we have to set the stage. Notice what it says. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan. Now, what happened at the Jordan? As you might know, Jesus went down to the Jordan River where John the Baptist was offering a baptism of repentance. And John's message was simple. Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. In other words, turn from your sin, because the king is about to show up, and you have not been listening to this king. And for some, this got their attention. This scared them. This cut them to their core. So they took account of their lives when they heard John's message. They acknowledged their sin and met John in the Jordan River to be baptized. And this, as this was taking place, the most amazing thing happened. The king showed up. Jesus showed up, just like John had predicted. So just imagine, if you were here in this moment, and the king actually showed up, just like John said, what would you expect to happen? You would think that Jesus the king would say, the kingdom of God is here. I- I'm the king so, those who are baptized, I'm happy with you. And those who are not baptized, prepare yourselves because you are in big trouble. But he doesn't say any of that. In fact, he doesn't say anything. Instead, he gets down into the water, to which everyone would be thinking, Well, what did this guy do? What is his great sin? And by doing this, he identified with the sinners. All those who are baptized, those who would be baptized and those who need to be baptized, which is every one of us. And as he was baptized, you probably remember this, God speaks from heaven and says, this is my son. And then the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove and fills him. Now, all this brings us to this section of scripture where we see the same spirit lead Jesus into the desert to be tempted. To which you might be thinking, But why? Why would God lead him into temptation? And as these words are coming out of your mouth or or running through your mind, you might remember a section of the Lord's Prayer, which we will recite later on today. And it says these words, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, this is a challenging thought, isn't it? Because even though Scripture is clear that God doesn't tempt us, why would he lead us to temptation or allow us to experience temptation? And this is a great question because it leads us to the heart of God. If he is a loving father, and he is, what would be his purpose to allow such a thing? Why would he allow Jesus to be tempted? Why would he allow us to be tempted? Now, there are probably all sorts of reasons that you might be thinking of right now, But here's the one that I thought of, empathy. Jesus came to the earth, fully God and fully man, to experience life as we must experience it. In fact, scripture says it this way, he has been tempted in every way that we have been tempted, which means he understands the human experience. Have you ever been judgmental before? I mean, I haven't, but I'm sure you have. We all have, haven't we? But you know what breaks through a judgmental spirit? Empathy. Feeling, experiencing, understanding why people might make mistakes and fall into temptation. For me, some of the best things that have ever happened to me as a follower of Christ is to fail and fall and constantly need God's forgiveness and Christ's work on the cross because it helps me understand that everyone needs grace from God and why we as believers need to extend grace to each other. So Jesus, fresh from coming out of the Jordan River and identifying with us as sinners, is about to experience temptation, just like you and me. But actually, even more severe than your temptations or my temptations, because his temptations are about to come directly from the devil. This is what God's word says. He ate nothing at all during those days and when they were over he was famished. So here we get some more details on this upcoming temptations that he's about to face. We see that Jesus who was fully God and fully man was hungry which means he was weak. The book of Matthew tells us that he hadn't eaten in 40 days or 40 nights at this point in time. And and by the way, in your life, this is exactly when Satan strikes. He isn't a dummy. He wants to tempt you when you are physically weak and tired. When you are overworked. When you have financial challenges. When you are sick. When you have been driving 24 straight hours. Fill in the blank. You know what I'm talking about. When you have fallen into that sin and returned to those old ruts, what was going on? Stress? Fatigue? Fatigue? And life was piling up on you, which made the escape of sin seem like a good idea. When any other time, you would know it was a bad idea. But Satan, he is strategic. He will attack you in your weakest hour. And this was his big chance with Jesus. He hasn't eaten. He was tired, hungry, and fatigued. His ministry hadn't started. There was no momentum. This was the time to get him. So this is what verse 3 says. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. Now, let me tell you something. If, if I inserted myself into this story, I would have already lost at this first temptation. Because this temptation is not about bread. And we know it's not about bread because what happens later on in Christ's ministry? He makes food appear out of thin air. We see this in the feeding of the 4,000. And 5,000. And this wasn't a sin, but it was something that actually glorified God. But this is different because the goal is not to have Jesus create food. The goal is to get Jesus to do what Satan wants him to do, to make bread on Satan's command or coaxing. So, what is Satan's strategy? Well, he pokes at Christ's potential pride. He says, If you are the Son of God, Now, does Satan know this is true? Of course, of course he does. But he's trying to use this statement to control Jesus. To you or me, it might sound something like this. If you are so smart, then solve this problem. If you are so strong, then lift this. If you are so fast, then race them. And the list goes on. It's not about being smart, strong, or fast. It's about being controlled by the other person. And you know what? I'm sure I would have tried to take the test, race the person, and lift the weight. And ultimately, the person challenging me would be in control. So what does Jesus do? Well, in verse 4, this is what we read. Jesus answered him, It is written, one does not live by bread alone. So just like our temptations from day to day, Jesus is given a choice. Just like we are given a choice. And depending on how we respond, we will have a positive outcome or a negative one. In this moment, the fate of the world relies on this response. Now, when it comes to you and I, the fate of the world is not at stake. We might hurt someone's feelings. We might go to rehab. We might lose some money. But not everyone's future is reliant on our response to a situation. But for Jesus, everything is at stake. So how does he navigate this delicate situation? He uses scripture. In fact, for every response that we will see from Jesus today, we will see that he is quoting directly from the Old Testament in our Bible. This section comes from Deuteronomy 8.3. One does not live by bread alone. Now, if you are not a seasoned in reading through and memorizing Deuteronomy, and very few are, this response won't fully make sense. But Satan would be well-versed and knows how this verse ends. He would know that it goes on to say that one does not live by bread alone, but instead on the word of God. In other words, the solutions that we need for this life are not found in the everyday things of this life, what we can buy or eat, or even reading the wisdom of human authors, but from the never-changing eternal truth of God's word the Bible so the story continues in verse 5 then the devil led him up and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world and the devil said to him to you I will give their glory and all this authority for it has been given over to me and I will give it to anyone I please if you then will worship me it will all be yours once again what is Satan trying to do He's trying to get Jesus to be ruled by him or follow him instead of God. Because the reality of our lives is this, whether we want to admit it or not. We will all be ruled by something, or specifically, someone. And Satan wants to rule you. That's why his pattern is always the same do what I want you to do, and then I promise to give you something. Do what I want you to do, and then I promise to give you something. Think about Adam and Eve. Listen to my lies and then I'll make sure that you get wisdom. Of course what Satan promises is never quite what we get. He always overpromises and underdelivers every time. For Adam and Eve, they got some more knowledge and then they brought everything bad into the world. In your story, you were promised freedom, joy, fun, and you got prison time and addiction and a bad credit score. However, notice this. God operates in the exact opposite way. God gives to us, and then we worship him as a response. Christ died for us while we were still sinners. The Holy Spirit draws us to God, but we still have our backs turned to him. Everything good in our life comes from God, and then the response from His from this love is to worship him with our lives and trust him by falling in his way. Instead of saying, You worship me, and then I'll give you something like Satan does, he says, I have given this to you already because I love you. And then we love him back as a response. So let's see if Jesus understands what Satan is up to in verse 8. Jesus answered him, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Once again, Jesus responds from Scripture, again this time from Deuteronomy 6.13. Instead of thinking, if I worship Satan, I might get this. Jesus knows that God provides everything to us. And so he trusts him to provide what he needs. How much different would your life have been? How much different would your life be if you have landed here? God, I know you love love me, and have given everything to me. And I know some of the Bible doesn't make sense to me or seems old-fashioned. Often, I don't get why you would ask this of me or that of me, but but I'm going to trust you even when it doesn't make sense, because I know you have my best in mind. Just imagine that rough patch in your marriage, that financial decision, that choice you made after a rough work week. How much different would your life be if you didn't try to outsmart God and just trusted that he loves you more than you love yourself and wants the best for you. So, so far this has not been going well for the devil, but he keeps on trying. In verse nine, this is what we read. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to protect you. And on their hands, they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. So what is Satan's last ditch effort? Distorting scripture. He pulls a section out of the 91st Psalm and twists it. And this is not a new technique for him. This is exactly what he did in the garden with Adam and Eve. He took God's loving rule and he twisted and distorted it and tried to convince Adam and Eve that God was against them and trying to keep something good from them. And guess what? He was successful. In, fa- in fact, today, he is still very successful with this. He uses people to twist Scripture. They change it or adapt it because they feel like God is just trying to steal their joy because they don't understand their loving Father and His loving rules. So Satan tries this very successful strategy on Jesus by telling him half-truths. But here is Christ's response in verse 12. Jesus answered him, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Instead of falling for that trap of that sounds right, or maybe that's what the Bible says, or that's how I want it to be, Jesus responds with Deuteronomy 6.16. He responds with the whole truth. He takes scripture, and he interprets other scripture with scripture. This is what we are supposed to do as believers. This is what we are definitely supposed to do as pastors. And this is not easy. Because it requires us to actually know what the Bible says. We need to do this. Because if we don't, we will end up being victims. And we will end up picking up the pieces of our lives. But Jesus provides a different way, an example for us. To have the word transform your mind, your heart, your life, and the lives around you. So here is how this piece of history closes in verse 13. When the devil had finished every test, he departed from him until an opportune time. Remember, what does the devil want to do? He wants to exploit your weaknesses and destroy your life, And potential. This is especially the case for those who can make a big impact in this world like Jesus. And what is Christ's weakness? His humanity. The frailty of his body. And what is the best way to attack his body? Death. This would be the opportune time. When Jesus died on the cross, Satan thought he had won. Why? Because he had deceived himself and didn't want to believe the rest of the story, the rest of the prophecy, the rest of the prediction. He did not fully understand Christ's love for us and the length that he would go for a group of people that would reject him. But three days later, love burst forth from the grave to set us free, to set me free, to set you free. So stay free stay free. If you are a child of God, if you trust him, believe in him, and follow him, you are free, so stay free. So how do we stay free? How do we live in this freedom? Well, there's, there's two things. The first one is this. We need to understand that God's law, his house rules, are a loving gift to keep us free. And second of all, if they're going to keep us free, we actually need to know them and we must live by them. Think about this. If Adam and Eve would have just listened, we would have a different story. If Jesus had not followed God's way and would have listened to Satan, we would have a very different story. We'd have a hopeless story. And if you will continue learning God's word, listening to it, and applying it, well, you will have a different story too.